Welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the ESPN LA YouTube page. And of course, if for whatever reason you can't finish watching this on YouTube, you can find the audio accompaniment on my show podcast page on uh, Sedano and Cap, wherever you find your podcast, Google, Apple, ESPN app, et cetera, et cetera. So Mark Spears of Anscape, friend of the program. The first guest is back. He makes his return. To the show. What up, Mark Spears? What's up, brother? I'm good. Um, I'm not as good as you. Uh, I got a lot of things I want to talk to you about. You've written a lot of interesting things, particularly a Steph Curry piece uh, for his 35th birthday. Uh, it's on Anscape right now if people want to see it. And of course, people can find that on ESPN.com as well, because there's a link there uh, as well. So, but let's start with, th- with this. Just for people who are just tuning in, you and I are going to talk about the Lakers. We'll talk about the Kings. Uh, you've seen them a bunch of times recently, and we'll talk about the Warriors and that conversation you had with Steph. Uh, we'll also talk about maybe some of the teams you saw those teams play against uh, as well, the Knicks, the Bucks, et cetera. So let's start with the Lakers, okay? I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, Laker fans have gone through the highs and lows a couple days ago before they lost to the Knicks. Everybody's yeah. posting memes about, we back, championship, here we come, <laughs> here we the West. And then they lose to the Knicks, they get bullied by the Knicks. And it's everybody needs to get fired again and, and they need to figure out things in the offseason. It's somewhere in the middle, obviously, as always. But my question to you is this I love Darvin Ham. Okay. I do. Yeah. I got a chance to be around him a ton this season. I get why the Lakers hired him. He has made some rookie coach mistakes. Um, a couple yeah. of instances throughout the season where maybe I, you know, I would have taken a timeout or I yeah. would challenge something. Uh, maybe the rotation. He's done a pretty good job, I think, for the most part with the rotation, although yeah. not easy because he's had a lot of different guys in and out of the lineup for one reason or another. But what do you make of Darvin Ham rookie seasons? Uh, Darvin Ham's rookie season as a head coach. Well, I mean, you're only as good as your players, right? I think coaches get too much credit when things are great and too much blame when things are bad. And, you know, there's certainly been a roller coaster season when you had Russell Westbrook on the roster and they obviously at the end had their differences. And then LeBron's in, LeBron's not, uh, you know, 80s in, 80s not. There's been this dance as a coach that he's had to play that's been really, really difficult. Like there hasn't been a, a steady roster. Uh, then like how many, what, half the team's been changed. So now you have to get a, a whole new half the team to adapt to your system and your way. And so I, I really think it's hard to grade them because it's just uh, like you got to wear name tags. You're playing for the Lakers, right? <laughs> like you just there's just so many different guys. And well, to, to and your do, point, to your point, when Russell Westbrook was traded and D'Angelo Russell came in, he made he just said, hey, Russell. Come over here. Like you said, he said in practice, he says everybody kind of snapped their head like, wait, what? His last name is Russell. And then he's like, I got to be, I got, so I started calling him D'Lo after that just yeah, to make yeah. sure everybody was like, wait, wait, not confused yeah, uh, when yeah. I said that. Because he, he said even the media at times were like, wait, what? Like it just because yeah. to your point, name tags is what you need around that place uh, this yeah. year. So I, I don't know if it's it's fair to beat him up or, I mean, obviously you're going to have some growing pains your, your first time doing this. Yeah. You know, I'm watching Mike Brown now coaching the Kings, and he's so much better now, I think, than he was 
in Cleveland or with the Lakers before. Not saying he was terrible or anything like that, right. but he's just it's different when you're in that seat. And so, but it's just like, man, who's playing today? <laughs> right. Like, who's this guy? He just we just got uh I, I so I just think that um for him, it's just been this musical chairs a roster all season. It's it's just really probably hard to get your identity as a coach when you don't know who's going to be there from one day to the next. And you have two major pieces that with, with them and without them, they dramatically change what you do. So no, I I think he's probably had as challenging a coaching job as anybody in the league. Well, and to that point, right. So I had a, a conversation with somebody there and I asked them, you know, Hey, what's been the big difference, right? Like now that you got this new group and the way it was described to me, and this was not specifically just about Russ, okay? So I want to make sure I'm clear about that on the front end. But it was something to the effect of um, less individualism, more about people kind of pulling the rope in the same direction at the moment. Um, and that I think one of the one of the one of the things they said to me was, you know, if the team all of a sudden you know played a guy, you know, 25 minutes instead of 28. You know, nobody's going to complain about that. And it, again, this wasn't this person made it very clear. This isn't specifically about one person that I know you're going to assume it is. That's the way they phrased it to me. That sure. uh, so I, I found that to be fascinating. Yeah, um, because, you know, the assumption is Russ was the big problem there. And maybe the, the way th- this person was describing it to me is there was more than just one person creating uh, potential issues there in the in the locker room or strife in the locker room yeah and and again too like who was playing like now is Kendrick Nunn playing is you know uh, it just like every day it's 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 something different there it's right when Kendrick Nunn was there it was like you know he'd play sometimes he wouldn't play other times um, you know, and then, you know, the, the lineups were changing constantly because of injuries or there's just no continuity, man. Right. It's just, it's just right. hard to build an identity when you don't know who's coming to work from one day to the next. Well, and, and let's be real, Mark, the last two off seasons, I think yeah. Rob Palenka deserves a lot of credit for what he did at the trade deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's no doubt, but the two previous off seasons, if we're being honest, were not the proper roster oh, no constructions question. around LeBron, a LeBron James, Anthony Davis team. But you know, one thing to keep in mind too, I think maybe the arrival of Paul Paul Gasol probably spoiled the Lakers fans and thinking that, you know, we could make a trade like this and then go win a title or go play for a title, right? Right. But Paul Gasol, like, that's not the norm. Like, right. Typically, when you make that much change, it's not that current season in which you make your stride. It's the next season. Right. So, like if the Lakers are healthy and they keep this roster intact and they go to training camp together and like, they'll, I, I think next season they will be a really, really formidable team. Um, obviously when you have LeBron James on your roster, if he's playing, if he's healthy, anything is certainly possible. But when you just make that much change, typically the, the, the rewards you see don't really come to the next season. Yeah. And look, I, I'm with you on that. Generally that's the case. But, you know, we 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 can talk about that some other time. Yeah. I want to know what you think about what this team is capable of right now. They're in the nine spot. Uh, there's multiple ties, but they, they find themselves still still in the nine spot at the moment. Yeah. They got some help 
Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, okay, yeah. uh, March 14th in the morning here on the on the in the Pacific time zone. And they got some help yesterday. Dallas lost. Um, and and Miami beat Utah, which they needed for them. And what do you think they're capable of? Like, I, I look at this team. This team now fits, right? Um, you know, we were talking about how the other team didn't have any continuity. This team doesn't have a ton of continuity, but at least the the roster makes sense, right? You got D'Angelo Russell, a pick-and-roll threat, a guy who's a good spot-up shooter, obviously, as well. You know, Malik Beasley is an excellent shooter. Uh, he's been a little up and down late, but but or of late, but he's he's a good shooter. There's no doubt. You know, Rui Hachimura, more of a mid-range guy, but uh, certainly a guy on offense that's formidable, right? They've got guys. Jared Vanderbilt to me might be the steal of the entire trade, especially when you look at his yeah. uh, cap number oh, for next year, four and a half million or whatever it yeah. is. He's a Swiss Army knife, basically. Um, what do you make of their potential this season? Let's say. Because we'll get into LeBron after this, but what do you? Let's just say LeBron has relative health. What do you think this team is capable of in the playing area? Well, I mean, if he's playing, they win the playing area. I think they make the playoffs, and, and I also think they're capable without him. If AD carries the team like we've seen him carry the team of uh, of late, I mean, he's AD is one of the most dominant players in the league when he's aggressive. I love post AD you know, aggressive AD, like to me, that's when he's at his best. And, you know, when he's, you know, relegating himself more to the three point shots and, you know, mid range jumpers, that's not where he's most dominant. Like his, his offensive put back game and all that, like offensive rebound game is another part of his game that doesn't get talked about enough. That's a, a dominant part. So look, man, if LeBron is back, and Anthony Davis is healthy too. Like they're they're would you take them against would you still take the Nuggets over them? Would you still take the Kings over them? It's I I I, I look, I I would love to see a Kings Lakers series in the first round. As yeah, much I, as I, as much as Kings fans hate hate the Lakers, <laughs> I would I would love to see that. Well, I, I think that's what I would like to see because it also kind of um stokes the flames of playoffs pasts, right? Like, I think that there's there's that. There's there's some history there, to your point. And we know the Kings fans don't like them. I, I don't know if I like them against the Nuggets. Like, I, I know yeah. the Nuggets are on a three-game losing streak at the moment, and they look human. But I, I just feel like that roster fits really well yeah. around Nikola Jokic. And I just think that they, they're just hitting a little bit of a rough patch. And I know it's with the Nuggets. It's you have to see it to believe it. I... I I've been around there enough this season where I feel like they are legitimately as good as they've ever been. Now, yeah. is that enough to beat them? I don't know. It's I think it would be a great series, but mm -hmm. I I still would slight lean towards Denver in that situation. And you should. They're way ahead of everybody else still. Like, honestly, the Nuggets should have NBA Finals expectations. Yes. They, they, they're been the best team in the Western Conference the entire season. It's not even close. So to me, it's finals or bust for them. But I got you. Look, I covered the Nuggets for eight years. I've been around that franchise. Like there's this hill that they've never been able to climb. And it's a mental hill. And yes, they did go to the West Finals. But in the bubble, I kind of feel like the Clippers basically decided Hey, we don't want to play anymore. Here, take our ticket. We're ready to leave Disney. 
go ahead and ride the rest of the rides. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't really count that as an accomplishment, even though it was. And Nuggets fans probably would hate that I said that, but that they they Clippers quit, to be honest, right? Um, well, they quit on Doc, particularly, it felt like. Well, they quit on that. themselves. They could have yeah. won an NBA title. It could have been the first in franchise history, right? So um, they were toward the end. Like, if you're going to quit, you should have quit earlier. <laughs> like, why right. Why did you wait that long, like, to, <laughs> to like, throw in the towel? Yeah. But they had a whole bunch of issues. Um, but my point is, like, Denver will have pressure on them. Denver will be playing a team that's won a championship with, AD and, and and LeBron, like I would, uh, yes, Denver should be the favorite in that series. But boy, you better get your popcorn ready if the, all those guys are if, yeah. if if LeBron is healthy. Yeah, they're going into Denver trying to beat them. Like uh, that would be certainly must see TV. And, and, oh, I, I, I'm there for it for sure, yeah. and I'm there for a King series too, uh, which I want to get to here in a second. But since you brought up the Clippers, don't they have the most pressure on them? Like this is year four of this. They've been, you know, they've yeah. had so many issues there. Um, you know, I know our guy Zach Lowe likes to call it like just a a, a science, science experiment, it feels like, with the way they're doing things. Kawhi is playing like Kawhi, though, right now. Yeah. Um, and we're st- we haven't seen that in a minute. So what kind of pressure do they have on them? And do you still believe they're a championship caliber team? I, I don't think they have pressure on them because you don't you know you guys in LA don't talk about them. <laughs> like think about it like they got this great record they're the fourth or fifth spot you and this is no shade on uh, uh, you this is LA media like it's like being on the nets like the the pressures on the Knicks and the Lakers all the time there is no pressure locally people care more about the nets and the clippers nationally than they do locally they do so i i don't think there is any local pressure there's probably more local hate than anything um in terms of of them having any success so to me if there's any pressure it's inside it's it's i i think it's like they they certainly have the talent to win it all right and and if they could get Kawhi into the playoffs healthy with there's no back-to-backs. There's sometimes three days off between games in the first round. Like they're 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 certainly in a much better better spot. So I'm just um, you know, I'm really really curious about who they be who they're gonna be. To me, they're that that dark horse. You know, there, and you, you know they could ride in the sunset. But if you think the Nuggets had the hill to climb mentally, I mean the Clippers are certainly there. Yeah, as well, right? So, yeah. um, they are deep. They got size. They got two superstars. Um, the Russ experiment is still a work in progress, right? But like, I love Plumley on their team. Uh, Man is stepping up. Like, I, I really like you know Eric Gordon's coming off the bench. I really, really like their team and. I, I I'm just so excited about the West playoffs and how it, I want to see the matchups and you know it, well the it, trade deadline the trade deadline changed all that right yeah, like the trade yeah. deadline made the West playoffs vastly more interesting yeah and and we could get a Phoenix uh, Clippers first round matchup crazy right right it's it's very possible right if the playoffs started today the Clippers were playing Sacramento who do you take right. 
Like probably most people may take the Clippers. Right. Uh, but man, I just I I'm I, I think the the expectations for the Clippers and the Warriors, like I think even despite their records, there are people out there that think they could still perhaps win it all. And um, let's not sleep on Phoenix as well once KD's back. Yeah. The hey, KD- there's no as as I told, you know, I talked to Mike Brown about this a little bit, like there's nowhere to hide in the Western Conference. No. No matter who you're going to play, like, you're going to play a very, very talented team. So, like, yeah, I mean, the best thing that's going to come with seeding is probably just more home games. But you're not going to be able to hide. There's going to be a heavyweight match no matter where you go. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And let's talk about those Kings. Um, are they ready for that heavyweight match when you were talking yeah. to Mike Brown? Like offensively, they're the most fun team in basketball, I think. Yeah. And I love the light the beam thing. I think everybody, um, even if you come on, even if you like, I don't care who you are, that's cool, especially for really cool. a small community like that who loves their team. Like, no matter what, you've been there a bunch over the years, you know how much that community loves their team. The fact they were able to keep that team was huge. The fact that they're good again and they can yeah. potentially exercise. Well, I mean, it looks like they're going to easily exercise the playoff demons of 16 seasons, not making it like it's just wild that it went that long. 17. Uh, 17 now. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the. Wh- who are they like? Who are the Sacramento Kings? Yeah, no, they're a fun bunch, man. They're like the fish to save Pittsburgh for, for the old school people that remember <laughs> movies like. They just got this, you know, an eclectic group of guys, and and I'm I'm excited for them to be on prime time. And I think people are going to fall in love with them when they watch them play. Like Fox is, it's like you know, he, he he's like a roadrunner. It's just so fast, and his body control is so great to watch, and the way he finishes, and he that. And then you got like Sabonis, who now has 10 triple doubles. He's a double double, triple double machine. Uh, Keegan Murray's going to have to step it up. He, he's certainly been a wave of. But then you got like the vet Harrison Barnes, the vet, vet Malik Monk, the, the vet Cameron Herter. So, like, the, I think the perception is that they don't have playoff experience, but they actually do. It's right. not with Fox. Yeah, but it's a uh, herders played in the playoffs. Barnes obviously is Barnes, won a championship. Barnes been yeah. a, won a championship. Sabonis yeah. has been, has in, the been in the playoffs, right? Yeah, so Monks, I believe, been in the playoffs. So they they have some playoff experience there. Um, and obviously Mike Brown has coached in the finals, right? right? As a as a head coach, he's been there, and as obviously as an assistant, he's been there. So they're that team that Mike is kind of building up mentally to have this chip on their shoulder, like. You saw that win, that amazing double overtime win that the you know they had in in L.A. against the Clippers, where Fox and Monk were basically like we're not intimidated by who's on their roster. You know they lose this game to the Bucks, who are best team in NBA right now, at home on on Monday night, and there's like a, a, a kind of like a fight at the end, and. Um, Mike Brown says, we ain't taking no ish from nobody, right? Like, <laughs> like these are some different kings, man. Like, they're, yeah. they're the, the young boys in the bar that's ready to fight, right, at a moment's notice. And uh, Mike isn't just talking playoffs with them. He's talking championship with them. 
I love it. But when you when you're a second, third C team, like you should talk bigger dreams. Yeah, for sure. I don't think there's any doubt. Now, I think that that's the way you should handle your business internally. I just think to your point externally, I don't know how many people actually believe in yeah. that. Um, and I think the biggest question with them is their defense, right? Yeah. And they're, I believe at the moment, 25th in defensive rating, and they're outscoring people. And we've seen that historically not really work out in the postseason. And, you know, obviously the most famous of that is Mike D'Antoni's Phoenix Suns, particularly, right? Um, even his 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 Houston Rockets to some extent, although P.J. Tucker would push back on that, be like, I was playing defense, uh, undersized yeah. defense on everybody. Um, but what, you know, how big of a deal is the fact that they're not that great defensively? Can they just outscore teams? Well, uh, it's interesting. Uh, Mike Brown basically cursed this team out the other day after they won against the Knicks. They they do this defensive player of the game chain, and he's like, nobody's getting it. You know, uh, Josh Hart had 15 rebounds against the Kings, eight offensive rebounds. Right. Like, he's like, that's not – can't do that. And so Mike is hitting them over the head with defense, 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 defense. Very, very honest with this team. He calls them out like on everything, you know, because he's like, look, we're trying to build something. We want to, you guys want to be great in order to be great. We have to pay attention to detail. Like I think Mike knows that there's not a, like a lot of room for error with this team. This team has also been blessed with good health. They haven't had any major injuries. They're constantly people there are knocking on wood about their, their, their injury, their lack of injuries there. Um, so you're right. Like, I don't know if they're going to be this defensive juggernaut the first year that Mike is known for having, but they better be better defensively um, soon uh, because uh, if they want to make some noise, if they do want to advance in the playoffs, it's going to, you know how it is. It slows down a little bit once oh, yeah. the playoffs start. So yeah. um, I, I think that that's something that Mike is con consistently hammering on them to be better at. Last before we let you go on Anscape right now, mm -hmm. you've got a sit down with Steph Curry about turning 35, right? Do I have that right? 35 yeah, years old? 35, man. 35 years young. Give people a little preview as to what that is going to be like if they get a chance to get around to it and read it. And hopefully they do uh, right yeah. after we're done here. They go and go to Anscape.com or ESPN.com and find it there. What do they got in there? Well, I, I think that... Uh they're going to kind of be surprised. I'm going to leave a little teaser on, on kind of who is giving uh, Steph advice oh. in terms of playing after at 35 and older. And Steph talked about playing into his forties. His dad played till he was 37. So, you know, talked a lot about his birthday, uh, talked about, you know, uh, trying to get that, that Kobe title, that fifth one and what class that puts him into how the team needs to get so much better on the road. They're off on the road and so great at home. And also, like, he's just, um, you know, in this place as an owner of Under Armour now where they got this new campaign that's also a familiar campaign from the past. So there's a – I'm just teasing a little bit on what what's there, but there's uh, certainly a lot of uh, interesting things that 
you know, Steph Curry is talking about in this story. But the main thing is like this dude is now 35 years old and it feels like he just came into the league yesterday, right? It's crazy. Uh, the baby face assassin, as they used to call him. And that maybe he's not baby face anymore. But just watching him play is a pleasure. And, you know, I talked to Draymond Green about him and he just basically like talked about how much he changed how basketball is today and why all your kids are shooting threes now, right? Um, <laughs> certainly an iconic player that I've had a great pleasure to get to know. Yeah, we're definitely going to make sure to check it out. If you're listening or watching this, make sure you go to Anscape.com. Check it out. It's also on ESPN.com. Mark Spears, senior writer, Anscape and NBA on ESPN. My brother, always great to see you. Thank you for the time. I right, love you, brother. Appreciate you. All right. All right. Welcome back to the Lockdown Podcast. Now I'm joined by ESPN NBA reporter Tim Bontemps. We're recording this on Tuesday, March 14th. He's fresh off the set with our friend Max Kellerman on TJI. This just in uh, where they uh, are discussing the MVP debate. I will save you from the MVP debate because I feel like at this point I'm MVP'd out. I don't know about you. Well, you and me both. I do the straw poll, so I get it more than anybody. And I'm 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 very out on the whole debate at this point. So okay. next one will be out in a couple of weeks. So we can talk about it then. Fair enough. Now let's get into a debate. Uh, I do want to talk to you about the East uh, at length, but let's talk about a couple of teams in the West. Let's start with the Lakers. I want to get into the Warriors too with you. Uh, obviously, LeBron, we saw David McGrinneman posted earlier today that LeBron is shooting free throws. In theory, the timeline for reevaluation is still a week and a half away. Let's just say for argument's sake, that LeBron is relatively healthy, right? He's playing with two bad feet at this point, headed to the potential postseason scenario for the Lakers. What are the Lakers if he's at relative health? I mean, they're a team that I wouldn't want to play in the first round of the playoffs if they can get there, right? I'm not sure they're going to get there. I mean, you look at right now, George, you look at these teams in the play-in tournament. I mean, you're talking about possibly having to beat maybe the Clippers and the Mavericks to make the play-in or make the playoffs out of the play-in tournament. You might have to beat the Thunder, which people will scoff at, but Jay Gillis Alexander might be the best player on the court in a game with the And, and, and they, they've owned the good. Lakers. They've owned the Lakers. Right. Yeah. Well, right. And even after the Lakers additions, the thing about OKC is they've got tons of athleticism, right? That's something that the Lakers just don't have. They have nobody to guard. She gives Alexander after all the moves they made even. So again, if they get in though, and they're the seven or eight seed and they can squeak in the playoffs, which by the way, their schedule is very soft. You know, the the fact that um, they don't have the typical really difficult schedule late in the year has in some ways, I think saved them because they're going to, they should be able to pick up some wins that they might not have been able to, but look, if you're Denver, and you see a healthy LeBron and AD in the first round, you're not going to feel good about that. If you're Memphis or Sacramento, you see a healthy LeBron and AD, you're not going to feel good about that. Do I think the Lakers can win three playoff rounds? Absolutely not. I don't think they have the depth to do that. But you got one seven-game series where you know you can bump LeBron's minutes up and AD's minutes up, and you can throw those guys at a team. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the league who would feel great about seeing them over seven, um, even if you're one of the top teams in the West. Not that they have the luxury of being able to pick and choose where they go anyway because of the position that they're in, as you pointed out. But if I'm them, if I had my druthers, I'd certainly rather Memphis with the situation with Ja, you know, we don't know if he's ever going to come back this season, right? Like it's very open-ended at this point, right? And they're also dealing with injuries, right? Brandon Clark is out, Adams is out. uh, And in Sacramento, 
look, I, I, I just talked to Mark Spears about them. I, I know that they've done a they've done a heck of a job there. No one is trying to deny that, right? But they're 25th defensively, right? Like they're, they're you can only outscore teams so much. And I think in the postseason you have to well, look, just, let's just make this simple, right? Sacramento, I think, has a real chance to win two rounds just because they're gonna have home court advantage. That crowd's gonna be crazy and the West stinks, which is what we're basically saying, right? None of these teams are very good. But if you're the Lakers, if you could somehow get to seven, right? Let's just play the game. They could somehow get to seven or whoever gets to seven and you're looking at uncertainty in Memphis and the possibility of playing Sacramento in the second round. Like, yeah, you're going to look at that and be able, you could talk yourself into winning two playoff rounds. Right. There's no question. And that's why to me, to get back to Denver for a second, we started off kind of dismissing the MVP talk, but look, I think there's more pressure on Nikola Jokic in this year's playoffs than any other player in the NBA. The West stinks. None of these teams are good. You can poke holes in all of them. Denver is a dominant home court team. You've been there a bunch this year. You were there on Christmas for that game with the Suns. They win all the time at home. They are going to have the best record in the West by a significant amount. Jokic has got a chance to make history. Be one of four players ever to win three MVPs in a row. The other three guys are all inner circle Hall of Fame players. It, to me, if they can't win at least two rounds, no matter who they play, if not three rounds in the West, that's a pretty big thing on his resume going forward that they could not get it done this year. You could talk about his supporting cast. He doesn't, you know, I've seen this stuff thrown around. They don't have an, doesn't have another all-star, doesn't have another all-defensive player in his team, all that kind of stuff. If you're as good as Nicole Jokic is by his resume, you ought to be able to lift your team up in this year's Western Conference. And the teams we're going to talk about in the East, the top three teams in the East, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly, I think they'd steamroll all these teams in the West. I think they're clearly the three best teams in the league. So, Look, the fact that we're even giving the Lakers with all their dysfunction, all their injuries, all their issues, some kind of puncher's chance of winning a series or two, it shows how bad the West is. I'm not trying to drive everybody in L.A. insane, but it's the Lakers have been over 500 in literally a calendar year, more than a calendar year. Right. So, like, that's just proof to me this thing is wide open and Denver had better take advantage of it because they don't this year. I don't know what you think, George, but I just look at them and I think they're never winning anything if they can't get out of the West this year. Well, never is a long time, so I won't go with never. But I would. But to your point with the Lakers, well, to to put the odds on it, you th- if they don't do it this year, it's hard to make the case they're sure. going to. Right? I, I mean, stranger things have happened, right? Like I think that this could be. Look to your point earlier on the on the Lakers. It's been over a calendar year, January twenty seventh, twenty twenty two. Okay, that's the date, the last time they were five hundred. Truly um, incredible. Yeah, and and to your point with the West. How much worse would the West be had they not made all these deals at the deadline? Because at that point, I was 100% with you. Like the West was, I kept saying wide open, which is a nice way of saying that it's bad. It's better now, but still wide open. I don't think terrible. I don't know. Uh, It's the worst it's been in two decades. I'll give you that. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's it's the worst it's been since the 90s by a long shot. Yeah. I mean, like I said, to me, it's very clear the three best teams in the league are the ones we're about to talk about. In the yes, league. yes, yes. But with Jokic, I think that this is the best team they've put around him, right? You have, I know Jamal's coming off an injury, and Jamal has, to me... I mean, he tore his ACL two years ago. I, I'm sort of, I mean, I understand he didn't play last year, but I, I'm sort of past the coming off an injury thing. But I, I just look at him and I think like, I don't know if he can be the second best player on a championship team. Like I, I openly question that. Right. Sure. Um, sure. I, I think, I don't think that's unfair to ask. And I no, think that not Michael Porter jr. Is also a guy who's not the second best player on a championship team. And he's been quite clearly. 
up and down injury wise as well. And even even when I watched him this year, now it's gotten better as of late, but he doesn't have the explosion that he had, particularly at the rim um, that he had in previous years prior to this last injury. So that stuff concerns me a little bit. But I but look, if you're telling me as a whole, they've got those two guys plus Jokic, Aaron Gordon is a great player to play with Jokic in the two man game. Uh, right, a lot of people spot. thought. A lot of people thought he should have been an All Star this year. He's been great. Bruce right. Brown's been a great pickup. And he, look, he, the team. Yeah, he defends at a high level. Aaron Gordon no defends question. at a high level, right? And you're no right. Question. Bruce Brown and Kentavious Caldwell Pope has been fantastic for them as a role. That's player. right. Yeah. No, look, I think their best lineup is take Michael Porter off the court and put Bruce Brown on it down the stretch in games. I think Mike Malone is going to Michael Malone's going to go to that a lot. All I would say about Denver, and it's it's sort of an easy comparison to make for a variety of reasons. Think back to 2011. And the team that Dirk, Dirk. Nowitzki had around. That's exactly right? the comparison I made on my radio show. Yes. And 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 think about what Dirk did in those playoffs. Yeah. Right. Dirk steamrolled everybody in those playoffs. Yeah. Went through, uh, went through. Um, th- I can't remember exactly who they beat. I know they beat Oklahoma City in the conference finals. They oh they swept the Lakers in the second round. And Go they beat the Spurs, I think, too, didn't they? Or was it Phoenix? I don't remember who was in the first round, but they beat they beat the Lake. They beat Kobe Bryant in the second. You beat Kobe Bryant in the second round. Right. He beat Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook in the conference. Finals. Oh, here I have it. I have it. I have it. I have it. So they beat the Portland Trailblazers in round one in six games. They swept the Lakers in the conference semis. They beat the Oklahoma City Thunder when they were still the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, in five games. And they beat LeBron Wade and Bosch in six. Right. And and Dirk Nowitzki was the best player in the playoffs that year. Right. Yeah. He carried that team to a title. Like, I'm not saying they necessarily have to win the title because his supporting cast, their team is not as good as those teams in the East. But to me, if Nikola Jokic is a three-time MVP of the league and he's as good as, as you know, that the class of player that puts him in, he ought to be able to pick this team up and carry it through three rounds of the playoffs. And if he can't, then I think we have to question, like, what level of player he is in the league. And I, I don't think he stinks. I'm not saying he's not right. an all-time great player, but, like, this is his moment to carry Denver forward. If he can't, then, you know, I think it opens up some real questions about him. It's what's made the MVP debate so fraught this year is, right. you know, P hasn't had that kind of run in the playoffs. And there's every reason and no, there's no excuse there for him not to be able to do it this year. Uh, so we, we've now been roped into the MVP debate and I, I, I'll just <laughs> dismount. I'll dismount on this. And I think this year he is certainly worthy of it. Every straw poll you've sent to me, I've had him outside of one. I had Giannis for a stretch at one, but every other one I've had him Um, last year or the year before I could have made the case for someone else, whether it was Giannis or Embiid. Um, And I think that that's part of the problem now is that, and I don't vote, I don't have a vote for MVP. And I think that we've been put in this conundrum because now the historical context now matters. All of a sudden, it's Larry uh, Wilt and and uh, and Bill, Bill Russell. Russell, right? That's so right. It's like that's that's the historical context. So it, it is a a tough spot for sure. But all right, let's let's shift to the Warriors real quick before we get to the East. Yep. I don't know what to think about them. Okay, they are five hundred basketball team with Steph Curry. Uh, they're five hundred. They're barely above five hundred without him. Right? Like they're they're, they're basically a five hundred team. Okay. And defensively, they have moments they look like the Warriors. Other times they don't. When I've talked to people there, this is the discussion I've had with people there. What they've been missing this year 
is the kind of vet guys who are kind of like glue guys. Like even last year, you look at a guy like Otto Porter or a Nemanja Bialica. A previous to that, Andre Godala. I know Godala's played recently, um, but he's older now. Uh, well, he's, on- he's, I mean, he stinks at this point. He's yeah. not, he's not the, he's basically your your favorite guy in Miami, Udonis Aslan at this point. Like he's there to be a, a veteran guy around the team. But if they're counting on Andre Godala to play playoff minutes, they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, Sean Livingston, obviously, before that was a guy that they counted no on, that guy, a glue guy. Yep. So they've had yep. those guys. Now, they brought back Gary Payton, and the hope is in 10 days they'll reevaluate him. But I don't know if that's enough, because they're basically playing two teams, right? So this was the continued discussion I had with someone there, which is, we've got our three guys who are obviously incredible Hall of Fame guys, but sometimes they play a little reckless, and they've always played a little reckless with the basketball. And then in the past, we've had these vet guys that could calm stuff down, now we've got those guys and a bunch of young guys and nobody can kind of calm down and the turnovers are, are way up, way up. Um, and then there's just kind of the regular fatigue that you get after making a run. And so to me, this just adds up to, I just don't think they can win a championship this year. Well, I don't think they can win a championship this year because I don't think that any of these teams in the Western conference could stack up with the teams in the East. I think the better question is, right. can they win the West? Okay. Right? Can they win the and, West then? If they have Andrew Wiggins on the court, I think they can win the West. Okay. The, 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 their their five-man unit with Steph, Draymond, Clay, Andrew Wiggins, and Kevon Lodi is plus 22 for 100 possessions in over 300 minutes. It's the best five-man lineup in the league by a significant amount. If they have that group ready to go when the playoffs start, I would take them over all these other teams for all the reasons we laid out before. I think the West stinks. However, we have no idea if Andrew Wiggins is going to play. Right. And the other day when Steve Kerr was asked about it, he said – we hope he'll be back. If he is, we'll be great to have him. If not, he's taking care of more important things and we'll make the, you know, we'll be, we'll be fine either way, but they won't be fine either way in terms of winning the West without him. They need him on the court. To me, it's very reductive. Like, and I, at this point, you're talking about what, about a month till the playoffs start. I mean, you're starting to run out of time. He's been gone for a month. He's going to need time to, to ramp back up. So in theory, if he's not back, say by two weeks from now, he's probably not going to really be ready to go by the start of the playoffs. And if he's not out there and they're playing Phoenix or they're playing Denver or they're playing the Clippers, they're just not good enough. I don't think as constituted to beat those teams. Like I, I mean, I think if he is, they are like, I think it's that simple really. And you know, that's with them being the basically the worst road team in the league. The only ones worse are Houston and San Antonio. What who, do you make of trying. that? Why is that happening? I have no idea. It's confounding. I've talked to people there. It's confounding to them. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, they they win every game at home, basically, and they lose every game on the road. Right. Like the other day they played in Memphis. Memphis is down those three guys. Like you said, I was like, all right, finally a game for them to come in. They've been playing better. It's like, all right, let's see these guys go in and win this game in Memphis. They're immediately down 50 to 28 in the first quarter. Like they, they've just been like that over and over and over again, which is, again, I don't feel good. We talked about this on the show. It was like, who do you who do you pick to win the West? I don't feel good about anybody. I'm basically just picking Golden State by default because I think Steph is the best player, and he's been great when he's been back on the court again as long as he's healthy. And that five man unit is the best unit in the league. So I'm just going to ride a, ride that for three rounds. But if Wiggins isn't there, it's totally wide open, and I don't know who to pick. Yeah, I, to your point, they had a five game win streak 
And then they came here to play the Lakers in LA. And I yeah, was and Steph came back. That was the game. Steph comes right. back. It's like, all right, right. Warriors are gonna Warriors gonna go on a nice little run here. Nope. They get pounded at home with the by the LeBronless Lakers or yeah. on the road by the LeBronless. They were down thirty two thirty two to twelve. I was doing the game. I was calling it on ESPN radio. And oh yeah, that's right. Thirty two to twelve to start the end. Now they they made it a game. It was a it was a game. But to your point, they, they just have these ridiculous lulls on the road that I I, I don't get it. But all right. And like you said, I don't know if it's them sleepwalking through games or what, but yeah. it's it's been a confounding season for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get to the East. The top five in the East as it currently stands at the moment, Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, although Philly is one game back of Boston at the moment. Kind uh, of lost column after yesterday. Yep, yep, yep. And then Cleveland and Brooklyn, all right? Let's ta- – you know what? Let's throw in the Knicks there too, okay? Let's throw in that top six. Um Let's do some, uh, you know, deductive reasoning here, right? The, the Nets, like they're, I mean, they may still stay in the top six, but they're they're a team for next year, hopefully in theory, and they figure out some of these parts. And you know and what I'll say, on, right? The one thing to say about the Nets is when they traded for Mikael Bridges, I wrote about this for Brian Superlector Kyle last week. He's looking like he could maybe take a leap and become a Chris Middleton, Paul George type. Yeah. player on the wing with the way he's scoring for the nets he's doing stuff he really never did in phoenix he did flashes of it the month before the trade deadline when devin booker was out nets were intrigued by that when they traded for him wanted to see if he could you know take the opportunity to really be the lead option for them and and you know eat as much as he wants on offense he has done that and then some and so you you look at the general progression of players like that like middleton like paul george like Kawhi leonard these elite wing players they start out as three and d guys and then they build on their game so it's one thing to watch going forward. If Mikael Bridges can continue this over a sustained period of time, he goes from a guy that's making $22 to $25 million to a guy that's a max player who's a difference maker at both ends of the court. So, you know, obviously the Nets are not on the level of these other teams. They have a lot of flaws. But if he becomes that kind of player going forward, that's a pretty huge win for them. Yeah, look, I I had Phoenix about seven times already this season. And I don't think they thought he could be that, if I'm being for sure. Uh, I, I think they just saw him as what they saw him as a guy that three and D that can have an occasional burst, but he has shown at least in a short amount of time that he's got more than just a few bursts potentially. So uh, I'm curious to see what it looks like moving forward uh, because I don't see them as a real threat, obviously this season. Yeah, but, no question. No question. Uh, let's go backwards here. The Knicks, I just had them. They just bullied the Lakers and Anthony Davis uh, Anthony Davis said he was terrible in that particular game, but I think a lot of that was what the Knicks did to him. Um, <clears throat> what are the Knicks? You know what the Knicks are, George? They're a team that finally has an identity and a path forward, right? I mean, you you being a, a loyal Miami guy, you've seen the Knicks for the last couple decades really sort of be lost in the wilderness, right? And sort of go from one plan to another, Stephon Marbury, Steve Francis, Eddie Curry, um, you know, they briefly had a plan when Donnie Walsh came for those two years. They get Amari, they have that team, and then they trade the whole farm for Carmelo Anthony, and then they can never put a team around Carmelo to really be a threat, right? They had the one year where they got to the second round with Carmelo, but that team had no oh, chance. Roy Hibbert, with verticality, verticality, well, Roy Hibbert. Who can forget look, that? Even if even if they had won that series, that team wasn't a real They're championship. Be, they weren't beating threat. LeBron in those. No, yeah, no. Yeah. And like Carmelo, and Carmelo, they just never had the ability to build around Carmelo. And you could say Carmelo should have came as a free agent. That's irrelevant, right? Bottom line is they weren't good enough. It's why I didn't think the Knicks should trade the farm 
for Donovan Mitchell this summer. I thought it would have been a lesser version of that same deal where they would have traded all the stuff for Donovan Mitchell and then not had enough of a team to really be competitive. They'd probably be essentially what they are now, maybe a little better. Maybe they swap places with Cleveland, right? They're not on the level of uh, Philly or Boston or Milwaukee then. But now they trade, they signed Jalen Brunson, the best player to change teams by a significant amount this summer. He slots all their guys in. They've done a really nice job drafting in the 20s. They draft Emmanuel quickly. They draft Quentin Grimes. They go get Josh Hart this summer, who's an awesome fit for the way Tom Thibodeau likes to play. He's been great off the bench for them. You know, the three-point shooting has come back to earth a little bit. He, You know, that was a problem in Portland. We'll see what that looks like going forward. But the Knicks have a ton of draft capital now. They've got young players that are interesting. They've got Jalen Brunson. They've got Julius Randle. You know, they've got the pieces to add another real superstar player to this team. And then they have the chance to be a championship contending team. And that they haven't had this kind of plan in place and structure in place for a generation, frankly. So I think they're a better position today than they have been at any point to really compete for a title since they were in the finals in 99. And we'll see if they get there. We'll see if they can get that move. Obviously, getting a superstar player is the hardest thing you can really do in the NBA. But they have done a good job of putting themselves finally in position to actually get that kind of player instead of just sort of blindly chasing after the idea of getting that kind of player, which might sound like a difference without a distinction, but it's a real difference. I mean, you're, you're Miami Heat are a good example, right? They don't always necessarily have that guy on their team, but when Jimmy Butler was available, they were able to figure out a way to go get him. And they went and got Shaq and they went and got LeBron and Chris Bosh. Like they've always positioned themselves to get the next guy. They've done it again. It's not a coincidence. They extended Tyler Hero. Right. They again have they have draft picks. They have Tyler Hero. They could go get another guy to play with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. But you have to position yourself to be able to get those kind of guys. And the Knicks have finally done that. So whether they win a series or not this year, I think it's been a big success for them already. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think they can win a first round series if they get Cleveland. I think it's possible. I don't think there's any stretch. One question with that is this Jalen Brunson foot issue. If Jalen's sure. not right. Oh, yeah. 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 For that, sure. He's got to be healthy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He's got to be For sure. Healthy. But if, but yeah, like I, from a neutral perspective, I'd love to see Cavs Knicks. That would yeah. be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I also did Knicks Lakers on radio and I was talking to some Knicks people and, and clearly they're confident, which they should be um, for the first time to your point in a long time. Although, um, there were a couple people that still kind of jokingly lamented not being able to get Mitchell, but I'm with you on this. Like, I kind of just like let it go because I'm like, yeah, I, I feel like you guys would just be stuck in the middle of, of the playoff pack, which wouldn't be helpful. Um, now, this was not a discussion I had with someone, but I feel like Carl Anthony Towns has Knicks written all over him. I'm going to be very curious to see what happens with Carl Towns uh, this summer. Cause you look at the way Minnesota's played, they played pretty well without him, but they obviously traded the farm to get Rudy Gobert. And they haven't really had a chance to see what that looks like at all. Right. He basically played for a month, hurt his calf and hasn't played again. So, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see if they make a change or try to make a change or if they roll forward with this, cause they've obviously invested a ton in the Ant-Man and Carl and Rudy as their core going forward. And, you know, I think the, the Mike Conley move at the deadline for D'Angelo Russell was a great move for Minnesota. I think he's exactly what they needed. And they're right on that verge of maybe being a top six playoff team this year in the West, despite all the stuff that's gone on. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I, I just don't buy it. I, I don't think that first of all, I don't think the the pairing of him and Kat is going to work. Um, and I think the only way you can recoup some of those assets that you gave up 
uh, for Gobert, which is still insane to me, even like to this day, I don't even understand it. Um, who were you bidding against is my question. Um, and I, I don't no, know. It's who- the natural. It's the natural. It's If they do have to make a change, it's the natural change to make. Yeah, there's no can, question about that. It's the only way you can make it. And the Knicks clearly have a ton of picks. And, you know, they love themselves some guys from, uh, you know, the area. Right. I mean, you just mentioned Carmelo Anthony, although I feel like Carmelo Anthony spent a lot of time in Baltimore, although it does have the New York ties. But uh, this, this kid grew up in Jersey, for God's sake. I mean, this is the guy. I, Honestly, I'd like to see it. But then, you know, what do you do with Randall in that scenario? Is Randall got to go in that spot? Yeah, I mean, it's it. it there's there's a lot of stuff to, to sort out. But, yeah. you know, that's anyway. it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting offseason for a lot of teams. They'll be fun, though. The, the Knicks are fun. And that's good. I, I know. Look, I'm not one of these people that subscribes to the NBA is, quote unquote, or the NBA, quote unquote, needs the Knicks. I mean, they've done fine for the last 20 years without the Knicks. I think they've done OK. But well, look, they're, they're better it, off when the Knicks are good, though. It's more fun. There's no that's question right. about it because that's they're right. polarizing. And when you have polarizing teams, that's good for business. There's no doubt. Um, yeah, if you have the team in the biggest city in the country with the biggest fan base yes. probably in, in the country, that's good. Yes. That's that's good for business. Yes. A thousand percent. OK, now let's get into the nitty gritty here. OK, uh, we're starting to get a little closer. Cleveland. Uh, I still feel we've talked about this before uh, when you were on the last time. They're a wing short. Uh, I know Okoro's played a little better recently. Um, they're a wing they, short. Yeah, but they're just, yeah, they they need. A, now, I don't know what their situation is moving forward. Um, I think they're a first round team at best, a second round team. Um, a first round team, I mean, winning a first round series potentially. Yes. Um, yes. Second round team. But how do they get that next guy? Well, what they what what matters for them is does Evan Mobley become Chris Bosch? I, I right. think that's the question. It's not. It's not what can they add because they can't really add anybody. They have to try. They're, to, they're done, right? Capital wise. Yeah. I mean, they've they've traded most of their stuff. They might have one pick they could trade. I mean, they're going to have to scrounge and find a way to get the three and D wing. They really need to round out that starting group. But what they really need is for Evan Mobley to become their best player. They need right. him to evolve into Chris Bosh. And I think there's two paths for me that Evan Mobley is going to take. He's going to be a really good player. I don't think there's any question about that. But is he going to be a Miles Turner or Jaron Jackson Jr. level player who's a really, really good player that's a borderline all-star, that's not a guy that's the hub of your offense, is sort of a supporting player? Or does he become Chris Bosh, who is you know a 25-12 and 12 guy that can carry your team offensively? And, and better be, and better defensively at this stage of his career than Chris Bosch was in Toronto. No question. Yes. No question. No question. So that that to me is the question. Which path does he take? Does he take the path where you look at him and say that guy could be a Hall of Famer? Or do you take the path where it's all right, this guy's a really good player, but he's not the lead guy on a on a championship caliber team? Right. Like because if it's the if it's the former path and he's just a he's Miles Turner or Jaron Jackson Jr. This team won't be good enough. I don't right. think the yeah. the latter path they can be good enough, and that yeah. again, I you know they're they're they've done a great job team building. I like the swing for them on Donovan Mitchell because they're not getting a guy like that. Yeah, to come to Cleveland, they've got those four guys. But Evan Mobley is one of the biggest swing pieces in the league because I think over the next couple of years, if he evolves into you know because he's only his second year, right? Yeah. If by the end of his rookie deal, he looks like John Morant did by the end of his rookie deal, or Zion Williamson, or one of these guys, you're like. This guy is a surefire all-star max level player. Then you could be looking at this Cavs team as a team that could win some stuff. But if not, it's probably going the other way. 
So this is where we take, this is the part of the podcast where we take all the good things we've said about New York and Cleveland, and we talk about how they're probably just going to be fodder in five games at best. That's right. For, for the Milwaukee Bucks. This is where we now switch. All the heartwarming stuff is over now. Now reality will set in for one of those two teams. If you know, Obviously one of them will win, and then they'll have to face Giannis and those guys who are now, uh, they look incredible. Um, Giannis is back, obviously, and he's playing like Giannis. Middleton is starting to round out. Joe Ingles is they've done been very strategic with Joe Ingles. Um, and I love I love that addition. I like, you know, Crowder, all the little things they've done around these guys. Uh, and that's not even to mention Drew Holiday, who's who's obviously fantastic. I, I mean, this team is the most complete team in the sport, I think. I think we're all we're, it's Giannis's world and we're all just living in it. Yeah, they're going to win the championship if they're healthy. It, to me, they've been the best team all year if healthy. And the way things have gone over the last month, like that's only been reinforced. Like I thought for Boston to beat them, like last year, Chris Middleton doesn't play. Giannis has one of the great playoff series you're ever going to see. Almost carries them to a series win. But Boston had home court advantage and they went crazy for three in game seven. Got a huge Al Horford game on the road in game six. Um, Jason Tatum had a huge game six or game five. They, those two guys, I don't remember which of those games, but those guys got them there. And then, um, and then they got over the line with Grant Williams in part hitting a ton of threes in game seven. Milwaukee's healthy though. They're unquestionably the best team to me. And now with a three game lead and they have one more game with Boston, maybe Boston can win it, but it's in Milwaukee. I think the, I think the bucks are to me, the very, very clear championship favorite. And you're right. The way they've played since the all-star break, um, really over the last month, they've been dynamite. Drew Holiday has been absolutely fantastic all season long. There's a ton of all NBA caliber guards. He should be one of them with the way he's played. Giannis is the best player in the universe. I just think it sets up for them to, um, you know, it's going to be hard for them to win that conference finals matchup against whoever comes out of Philly and Boston. Presumably they play each other in the two, three matchup, but I think whoever wins that series, presumably Milwaukee, I think they're going to walk over wherever they play from the West. And I think, you know, again, if healthy, like you said, I think it's their world and everybody else is just playing for second place. Let's rewind a little bit to Drew Holiday, because I do think it's interesting because there was a time, correct me if I'm wrong, where I feel like a lot of teams could have had Drew Holiday, right? Uh, including the team that traded him away. Now they got a ton of assets for him, but I don't know how good those assets are going to be in the long term, at least. Well, listen, listen, when they made that trade, remember, a lot of people question what Milwaukee was doing. Right. right? Is he worth all those picks? Yes, that's right. And yeah. remember. Basically, a week after they made that trade, what happened? Giannis signed the Supermax, yes. kind of an important thing. Right. Then they win the championship. They might have won one last year if they hadn't had Chris Middleton get hurt. And they got a very good chance to win another one. So, you know, people have have uh, poked some at the Anthony Davis trade for the Lakers. As my buddy Brian Winters likes to say, you win a championship, it means you don't have to say you're sorry. The yeah. Lakers, that's a win for the Lakers because they won a title. Yes. It'll be the same with the Kevin Durant trade. It was the same with the Drew Holiday trade. And that's especially true if they come back and win another one, they win another one. It goes down as one of the dynamite trades in recent memory, because ultimately what are we trying to do? We're trying to win championships, right? You can stack up all the assets you want, but the goal is to win a title at the end of the day. And when you have somebody like Yas Tedekupo on your team, you have to sell out and do everything you can to win. Cause you're only going to have that guy for so much time. And I think the Bucs deserve a lot of credit for the way they push their chips in. They spent a ton of money, spent more than the Lakers in recent years playing in Milwaukee. Like, that's really impressive the way they've committed to winning. They've traded, you know, they've made trades at every deadline. They went and got Jay Crowder this year, took on money again. You know, Jay Crowder would have looked pretty good in Phoenix all year. 
Instead, now he's playing for the Bucs as a, probably a sixth or seventh guy, a guy that can bring in late in games. That's only made him better. They're deep. They're versatile. They can play a lot of different ways. Brooke Lopez might be the defensive player of the year. I mean, they're, they're just a complete team in every way with the best player on the planet. I mean, it's a pretty good combination to have. Well, listen, I, I don't think that we can understate the fact that they're a small market team that is, I believe, around, you know, has a luxury tax bill of about $75 million. Okay. Yep. And look, they were smart in selling a piece of the team to Jimmy Haslam, who owns the Cleveland Browns, um, to recoup some of that. That's actually smart business that I don't think gets or I haven't heard anyone actually talk about it in in that in those terms. Yeah, look, Mark Lazary, who sold the team, I broke that news a couple of weeks ago. Mark Lazary bought the team with Wes Edens for somewhere around one hundred million dollars he put in. Right. He got out a billion. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. It's pretty good business ultimately yeah. at the end of the day. And was there for a decade, won a championship. They might win another this year. I mean, it's it's pretty good all the way around. But look, that's the Bucs are doing what you're supposed to do. When you have an all-time great player, you've got to try to win as much as you can. Like, look, like we've talked about it on our pod a bunch. It was, it was 50 years between NBA finals for the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Since 1971, that, there was a 50-year gap for them winning a championship. In 1971, they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson. Within a couple of years, both those guys were gone, and it took them 50 years to have another right. guy of that caliber come back. Yeah. They're not the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, Lakers fans are used to players like that just walking in the door every three years because guys want to live in Los Angeles and play for the Lakers. Teams like Milwaukee, they don't have that kind of benefit. Hell, the Knicks don't have that kind of benefit. They've barely gotten guys like that to come play in New York. So applauds, I applaud the Bucs for the way they've committed to winning. And like you said off the top, I think they're very clearly – the best team. And if they're healthy, it's going to be very, very hard for even teams like Philly and Boston, who are really, really good teams to be able to beat them. All right, let's get to those two. What's been the issue with Boston of late? Like what, what are the issues? I know Marcus Smart was hurt for a while and whatnot, but he seems, I I believe he, I mean, he's back. So like what, what's been the issue with them? You know, how much of it is just, again, the doldrums of the season, how much of that is maybe, uh, Joe Missoula, does he have anything to do with this or just bad luck in some of these scenarios? I mean, it's a combination of things, right? So the way that the Celtics play in general, it's a very high variance style, right? They don't get to the free throw line a ton, right? And they shoot a ton of threes, right? So the first two months of the season, they had the best offense literally in the history of the NBA yes. because Al Horford was shooting 50% from three. Malcolm Brogdon was shooting yeah. 48. Grant Williams was shooting 47. And, Mal- and uh, Derek White was shooting 45, right? So if all of your role players are hitting half their threes, you're going to have the greatest offense of all time when you've got guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown next to him, right? Yeah. Now, since then, those guys have sort of regressed to the mean. They're shooting well, but not that well. And so when your offense is more or less jump shot reliant, you're going to be a pretty variance team. The other issue is they have had a bunch of injuries. Robert Williams has not played very much. He's been out again with a hamstring issue. Marcus Smart's been in and out of the lineup. He's been a little uh, rusty coming back. Malcolm Brogdon has missed time. Al Horford's not playing back-to-backs. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have had nagging injuries here and there. So, like, it's been hard, I think, for them to establish a rhythm a lot of times. Um, And I do think they're also you see teams go through these kind of ruts during the season. It just sort of happens. Right. Like fans go insane when you lose a game, when you're the Celtics to the Houston Rockets in Houston, like the one they lost on Monday night. I'm not trying to excuse that loss, but like every team 
has a couple of dud games during oh, the season yeah. where they lose games they shouldn't win. It's just the nature of. I, I mean, they've lost to the Orlando season. Magic twice, right? I mean, that's happened. Yes, no, for sure. So like they yeah. they've had some dud losses, and that's going to cost them probably getting the number one seed, which could really be the thing that determines how far their season goes. But I also just think they're for as deep as they are, and I think they're the deepest team in the league. Jason Tatum, as good as he is, is not on the same level of Giannis, Kevin Durant, yep. Steph Curry, right? Like he's somewhere in the top 10, I would say, but he's not a top five player in the league. And so not you put yet. all that to, but yeah, he might get there. He's, he's developed remarkably. He's a terrific player. That's no right. knock on him. Yeah. But when you look at, when you look at that, like a game like Monday night, he's just maybe not quite, like he has a lot of games where he'll go six for 18. Right. He's just a lot more less consistent than a guy like Giannis, who almost no matter what feels like ends up with 30, 10 and five or well, LeBron ends up with 28, seven and seven. Well, and to your point earlier in the season, him and Jalen both were making an effort to get to the free throw line. They were going to the basket and they were getting to the free throw line with more frequency. And they've kind of as the season has progressed gone back to being more reliant on jump shooting. Those two particular well, those guys. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking up Tatum's numbers there right now. I mean, those guys, I think have done a decent job of that this year, but they just don't have anybody else that does it. Right. right? It's just they, everybody else is more or less. Yeah. I mean, Tatum's up to eight free throw attempts a game. It's two more than last year. It's easily his career high. Yeah. He's gone from four, seven to five, three to six, two to eight, three. That's really good. You know, Jalen Brown's also very aggressive. He gets to the line, but if those are your only two guys doing it and the rest of it is, moving the ball around the perimeter to get to shooting threes, that is a problem for you. And yeah, Jalen's got a career high five and a half attempts a game too. Like those guys are both doing a good job of that, but I thought it was instructive. They had a recent game where they blew a huge lead to the Brooklyn Nets and lost at home. I think they had a 27, 28 point lead. Mm -hmm. And after the game, Joe Missoula couldn't stop talking about the fact that the Nets took more threes than the Celtics. And he said the single most important stat on the stat sheet is three point attempt rate. And he said, you guys might laugh at me for saying that, but that's what I focus on. We have to shoot more threes than the other team. And I, I think it's instructive to think about that and then think about the way the Celtics play. Like Joe Missoula, people don't really know much about him yet. He is always thinking about the game from a money ball, Maury ball, analytical perspective. Yep. Yep. And he he is just dead set on them shooting a three-pointer every single time they can. Oh, yeah. He and, wants them to let it fly every time. Yeah, like he would be happy if they basically only shoot threes because, again, st- from a statistical standpoint, if you're making that many threes, you're going to win most of the time. I don't, I'm not knocking him for doing that. Right. But when your team is built that way and that's how you're going to play, it just it leads you to games where if you're missing threes, you're going to look pretty bad. It's, it's sort of in a this is a much more extreme example. The reason the All Star game looks so horrendous was because there were 133 pointers taken yeah. and probably 50 of them were from half court. Right. Right. Guys just heaving from half court as opposed to 35 years ago, the 1988 All-Star game. It was 138 to 133 and there were 11 three-pointers taken. Yeah. I'm pretty confident there wasn't a lot of defense being played in that game. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. not just all 50-foot heaves. Right. So that that's I think that's the biggest thing with Boston. But the bottom line is they have not played well for a while. They've been pretty average since the break. They've lost the chance, I think, to be the one seed. Yeah. They might not even hold on to the two seed. I yeah. think they'll say out of Philly because there's a brutal schedule, but they've made their path a lot more difficult. And I think it probably cost themselves having a having a favored path to the finals as a result. Because if they had Milwaukee in the two three, Milwaukee match Philly matches up pretty well with Milwaukee. That yeah. I think could have been a long series. Yeah. But 
Now you have to beat Philly and Milwaukee instead of right. having just the winner of that series. And like you said, whoever gets the one seed is probably going to clean up pretty quick against whoever comes out of that Cleveland, Brooklyn, New York part of the bracket. Yeah, let's get to Philly now. Uh, obviously, you know, you could talk about the big fella at, at, at nauseum. We can do that. I love that Tyrese Maxey has, and, and this is no surprise because I was around him during the draft process and he's just like one of the nicest kids you'll ever come across. Like, might be the single nicest person I've ever covered. Oh, my God. He's insane how good he is and how nice he is. It's just like the combination of it. I love it. Um, so and he is a a a a gym rat. Like you have to literally kick him out, basically. Um, and, you know, Doc has talked to me about that in the past, about just like uh, and his girlfriend's a baller, too. So, she, you know, they play together and they practice together just by themselves, which is nuts. But this you know, just like we were talking about um, complete teams, right, around Nikola Jokic, this is the most complete team around Joel Embiid um, in his career, right? James Harden is playing well. He's playing at an efficient level. He's clearly the number two player on the team, and he has been okay with that, at least right now during this season, where last season it, it felt a little clunky at times. We mentioned Maxi. Harris has filled uh, a nice role. I know people will complain about his salary, but uh, DeAnthony Melton to me, the unsung hero uh, of this particular team, uh, if I were looking at it. And then I like uh, the role players that they have, particularly uh, the minivan. I love George Niang, mostly because I love saying the minivan. But nonetheless, uh, I like this team um, in a way that I, I don't look. I've been high on the Sixers for years and they've uh, they've made me look silly. But, you know, I, I just think Milwaukee's too good. But to your point, they historically, even over the years, they've matched up really well against them. I don't think they can beat them if they're healthy. Milwaukee, that is. But man, I, I'd like to see these two teams go at it. What, what have you've been there a lot? What is different about this Philly team from Doc and the coaching staff to the players on it? What's the biggest difference you've seen? Well, a couple things. I, I mean, James Harden is better than I think Ben Simmons ever has been in his career. I think that's a significant factor, right? James is not the same player he was in Houston, but he's still really, really good. He's been a perfect, the way he's playing has been fantastic. Another guy that I think should have been, clearly should have been an all-star to me. I thought it was laughable he didn't make it. And I think he's a guy who deserves all-NBA consideration for the way he's playing. He's been great. The big question I have about them, you're totally right about them being the most complete team they've had with Embiid. It's really not debatable. I think P.J. Tucker, in particular, he's not he's obviously not going to score many points. Right. But he has brought a level of toughness to this group that they didn't have. I think it's notable. They've fallen behind in a lot of games and they have the most comebacks from, I think, down 15 and down 20 of any team in the league this year. They've won, I think, six or seven games when down 15. and I think four when down 20. And obviously, you don't want to be down 15 or 20 in a game. But in the past, Philly was the kind of team where you, they got ahead. You felt good about them. Or if they fell behind... You didn't really like their chance of coming back, right? They're just a different mental toughness and an edge to this team this year that I think is different. Some of that, I think, is the big fella taking steps forward. Some of it is James Harden. A lot of it, I think, is P.J. Tucker. The one question I have about them, though, you mentioned Tyrese Maxey. I love Tyrese Maxey. His development is great. He's a terrific young player. I really do not like the fit of him and James Harden together right. starting in, starting for them, especially against teams like Boston, against teams like Milwaukee, against, you know, whoever they play in the finals if they get that far. It's just not good enough defensively, those two guys together. Well, you got to play Melton like this there is what you got to do. Well, well, they and they were doing right. that for about six weeks. And then over the past, you know, couple of weeks, they switched back the other way because Tyrese Max in particular was not playing very well coming off the bench. And that, I think, is a real key pivot point for Philly moving forward here. Can they get, um, can they get, 
those guys figured out. Can they find the right lineups down the stretch of games to go against these teams? And, you know, look, with this Boston matchup, they have not looked great against the Celtics. It's a tough matchup for them. They're going to play them one more time this season. That's probably going to be the second round matchup. Let's see how they match up in this final game with the Celtics if everybody plays. It's right in, I think, the final two or three days of the season. So I don't know if everyone will play in that game. But, um, but yeah, look, we talked about the pressure on Denver. There's going to be, for these three teams in the East, all of them have championship aspirations. All of them think they can win a title. All of them are going to have real questions if they fall short of that, and especially if they lose in the second round of the playoffs. Like, we see all the time, you know, George, when teams fail to meet expectations, that's when changes happen. Oh, yeah. And with all these, all these teams in the league in the East and the Western Conference being basically the same, there's going to be a lot of failing to meet expectations in the West. And with those three teams in the East, whoever doesn't get out of the second round in particular, I think there's going to be pressure on them to make changes, no matter how good the series was, no matter how close they came. So there's a lot riding on the line. I think Philly is easily the best team of the Embiid era. Whether they're good enough to get out of the second round, though, is another question. I would say right now they're probably not. All right. Failing to meet expectations, you've led me perfectly to our uh, some of our teams in our playing area as we'll wrap this up with this discussion. Uh, let's start with the Miami Heat. Failing to meet expectations. They have set a level of a certain expectation, and it's not the playing area. And I know Jimmy Butler has talked openly about uh, they're kind of like trying to skate through the process that they are, you know, shortchanging themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Jimmy is playing at least in a regular season. Statistically, it's the best Jimmy Butler they've had in a regular season. Now, we'll see what he does in the postseason. Historically, he's been very good there outside of one season um, where they came off the bubble and they were a disaster. This season is kind of reminding me a little of that. I have friends literally in my group chat saying, put us out of our misery already. I got friends literally saying they should lose every game. Um, and I'm like, that's not going to help them at this point either. Um, but I I just, there, there's a lot missing here. I, I mean, we can go into it, uh, you know, ultimately the way I look at it is this. At the beginning of the season, I felt running it back the way they did. I felt like they were putting way too much on Eric Spolstra to be a magician again. Um, that you're relying on a bunch of G League guys who overachieved last year because, hey, you know, look, that's part of their deal, right? They they find guys diamonds in the rough, but you can't keep going with the diamonds in the rough all the time. Like you got to add something. Losing PJ Tucker, I think, was way bigger than they thought, and it helped Philly, one of their rivals. Um, and they just can't score in the half court, which was a problem for them last year. And it continues to be an even bigger problem for this year because they went from one of the best teams shooting the three ball to one of the worst teams shooting the three ball. Yeah, I think all that's true. And ultimately, if Tyler Hero is your lead ball handler, I just don't think your team has that high of a ceiling, right? right. He's a good And player. we haven't even talked about Kyle Lowry being just, it's been a mess this season, right? Well, look, Kyle was really good the first month or so, kept them afloat, and then yeah. as you know, then his knee acted up and he just hasn't really been healthy since. I mean, he's come back and he's played okay in a couple of games since coming back. But um, yeah, look, I, I, you know, Jimmy and Bam are really, really good. I think the rest of the team isn't quite good enough. That being said, they're sort of the Lakers of the East, right? If you are, um, if you're Philly, if you're Boston, if you're Milwaukee, I think you're going to beat Miami over seven games. But if you could choose to play the Nets, or you could choose to play the Hawks or Toronto or Miami, like for the same reason, you don't want to see LeBron and AD. You really don't want to see Jimmy and Bam in the first round. Like that's just going to be a difficult series. 
you're going to win because I, I all the things you said about the Heat are true. They're not deep enough. Um, no, they have plenty of flaws, but they have a guy who's shown up in huge spots in the playoffs. They have one of the best versatile and most versatile big men in the league. It's just going to be a hard series. And, you know, if you're, say, Boston and you're the two seed and you have to go through Miami and then Philly and then Milwaukee, that's not going to be very fun. Yeah. Right. So that that I think is I think they are very similar to the Lakers in that they're going to be a difficult out. You're not going to want to play them, but they're probably too flawed to make a real run for all the reasons we've seen all year. They're just their supporting cast isn't good enough. And, you know, they just they just have proven over the 82 games that not of the level of those teams. Um, Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago at the moment. Um Atlanta yeah, that race for that race for that race for 10th in the East in particular is pretty depressing. Yeah, it, it's bad. Um, I'd like to see Indiana there just because I love Halliburton. Um, you know, Indiana doesn't seem to want to be there, George. <laughs> yeah, they, they they don't seem to want to be there at the moment. Yeah, they seem to be uh, trying to position. Chicago is desperately trying to get in there. Um, yes. at, at the moment, I guess that's that's good for the league too. I mean, we were talking about the Knicks, right? It's good for the league when the Knicks are, or when the Bulls are in there too. And honestly, the Bulls, the Knicks get a lot of grief, and I've certainly given them ton, a ton. But the Bulls should get way more grief than they get. Like, I feel like we let those guys skate um, historically where they should be a team uh, because they're the third largest market. And they had the greatest player, arguably, of all time uh, for a stretch of time that we just kind of like forget that. Oh, yeah, they're a big market team. They should be better. They should actually uh, be more prudent with their moves and maybe spend a little more, to be honest with you. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Nonetheless, Um, let's focus on Atlanta and Toronto here real quick, and then we'll let you go. Uh, sure. Quinn, I don't think he can do anything right now that will make um, them and, you know, maybe marginally better. Um, but there needs to be real changes there, too, I think. And then with Toronto, I, I liked the Pirtle move in the short term, but does it really help them in the long term? I don't know. I don't think so. I still feel like they need to be sellers. I feel like Masai did one of those things where he's great at his job, obviously, but maybe almost too great at his job because he wanted all sorts of assets for guys that probably don't deserve those kind of assets. So where do you lie on those two teams? I mean, I think they're, I think they're both similar. um, I think they're both similar teams in the sense that they came into the season with high expectations to be in the top six. They've got all NBA caliber players in Trey Young and Pascal Siakam, and they've been very disappointing for different reasons. And, you know, I, I think both of them are facing really interesting off seasons in that are, are obviously already, there's been already been a lot of change in Atlanta. There's probably going to be more. And, you know, Toronto, by making the trade they made for Yaka Pirtle and giving up a top six protected pick for next year, they're not acting like a team that's going to be blowing it up um, this summer. Right. Like they, it seems like they believe in their group. So, I don't really know what to make of them on the court. They both, they both, it's, it's a lot like, you know, we were talking about what's the deal with the Lakers or with the Warriors on the road, sort of the same thing with these two teams. You look at them, they just should be better than they are. And they haven't been. Um, and you could point to the issues that Atlanta has defensively. You could point to the fact that the Raptors have literally no bench. Um, and no offense. They, their offense. Right. too. And their offense hasn't been good, but they still should be better than they've been. And I think they would say that. So, um, I don't know what to think of them other than that. Whoever wins that eight, nine matchup, probably between the two of those teams is going to get steamrolled in the first round by Milwaukee. And then it's going to be a long off season full of a lot of questions. And I don't think either of those teams will look remotely the same 
at the start of next season. Uh, you have been fantastic and very gracious with your time. Almost an hour. I appreciate it. Um, I will talk to you during the playoffs. Enjoy uh, the travel. I'm sure I'll run into you somewhere um, and we'll find a way to do this uh, during the postseason. I hope so, buddy. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you as always. All right. That'll do it for us. Thanks to Mark Spears and Tim Bontemps. Uh, make sure you check out the Lockdown Podcast here on the ESPN LA YouTube page. Smash the like button there. Subscribe to the ESPN LA YouTube page. And you want the audio accompaniment, you can always find it on the Sedano and Cap podcast feed. Have a good one. See ya.